Good morning. As they are uh, getting settled, I want to share a couple of other things with you about this weekend. And and I know that Bethany often shies away from that because she doesn't want, uh, I don't know, she doesn't want to take over the service. But uh, those are our people. And there are stories because we were a part of them. And so there's just some more I want to share with you. I want to, and I also want to share this because you guys are invested uh, in this community. And we're going to talk about that some more later in the message. But uh, I want to tell you how the weekend began and how it ended because it's significant because of all the things that we just sang. Um, we got to YC, the kids are always pumped um, when we're headed there, and some of them had been before and many of them had not, and so there's just all the anticipation of a big event coming and they're going to spend the night at the church, and that's weird but also fun, and so there's all of that dynamic happening. Um, and we get there and things are beginning, and the youth group behind us begins poking and making fun of a couple of kids that are sitting next to me, and I was oblivious to it, because um, me. Um, and so that's there in in they said something to Bethany and she she told me and and you could see their demeanors completely changed and I share that with you because it was evident throughout the course of that evening that you guys were praying for those students and I want you to know that because we started there and by the end of the night all of them felt the Holy Spirit speaking to them that they needed to give their life to Jesus and they went down and they made that profession of faith Later, I think it was the next day, that youth group apologized to our kids, not, uh, to my knowledge, not because we said anything to their youth leaders, but because the Holy Spirit was working. And then by the end of the evening, we ended with David Crowder leading worship and in a concert. And I don't know if you've ever been to one of his concerts, but the albums don't do it justice. But our kids are jumping up and down, screaming, worshiping the Lord, along with all these other teenagers. And all of that happened because of you guys praying and the Holy Spirit working, and those two things are integral together. And so I wanted, I wanted to share that with you this morning because it's going to, it's gonna, you'll, you'll see, it's going to all work in there. But man, this week has been great. It was interesting this morning hearing some of those testimonies because it feels like that was a month ago, <laughs> and that was exactly seven days ago. Um, but it's been a great week, and I hope you guys um, had a great week. As you've already heard this morning, God has done some amazing things in the life of my family, um, but also in the life of our church family. And so um, I'm, I'm excited that you're getting to hear some of those stories, and, and we're going we're gonna to talk some more about that even over the next couple of weeks, because um, spoiler alert, we're going to have baptism again at our Christmas party this year for our community kids, and that is super exciting. So we'll be planning that this, after, right after church, the staff's going to meet, and we're going to kind of lay some of those plans down. So Anyway, I also wanted to share with you, because this is always just really cool to me, last week, kind of as a recap, like I like to do, we talked about our restoration story, right? We talked about how God has been working since the beginning of time, since the beginning of our lives to redeem us, and that is our story, and I found it incredibly um, interesting and very much of God that the first session that night, the speaker was talking about the power of our stories, and that our stories begin in sin, but they end in salvation. Um, and so I, I had written down to share um, some more of his points, but I've taken up some of that time this morning telling other things. But um, I can tell you that this spoke powerfully to our students um, in helping them to see themselves in the gospel. Because we've talked about before all the time, we, we, we can read scripture and it feels like it's over there and we're over here and there's this gap between but when we, when we realize that all of that scripture 
is about Jesus wanting to love us and us to feel that love, all of a sudden that story that seemed so far over there, now we realize is part of our story. And that's what our students got to experience. Um, the second point that, that he made, I think, was the most significant for them and for us. But he said, like I said a while ago, your story starts with your sin, but it ends with Jesus' salvation. All of us start in the same place. We're born in sin. We've talked about that a lot. I'm not going to beat that dead horse. But for them to understand that we all start in the same place, but we all have an opportunity to end in the same place was significant. And as we continue in chapter 10 today in the book of Hebrews, we're going to see the author of Hebrews kind of further develop that idea. But before we jump into chapter 10, I want us to take a look back at two other passages that kind of paved the way for this culmination of this argument that he's been making through chapter 10. As I've said the last couple of weeks, chapter 10 is kind of a recap of chapter 4 all the way through chapters 9. But look at chapter 4 verses 14 through 16. I'm going to read it, say a few things, and we'll jump to the next one. It says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive the mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. You're, you're about to see the, the author of Hebrews is, is creating a pathway. He's, he's helping us to see a pattern of what Jesus is doing. Since sin entered the world, God's goal has been to bring us back to himself. And he's done that in a very specific way. He's done it through Jesus. And the author wants us to see that progression of Jesus' work throughout history on our behalf. In verse 14 of that, of that section, it said, since we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens and into the very presence of God. And then look what he says in chapter 6, verses 19 through 20. He said, we have this hope as an anchor for our soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. Jesus has entered there on our behalf as a forerunner because he has become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. So Jesus has gone before the Father. He's gone behind the curtain as our forerunner. Think of it as if you are standing there, the curtain is there, and Jesus is like, hold on, I'll be right back. And he dips in behind the curtain. He went through that curtain that separated, remember, the inner room from the Holy of Holies. That curtain was there to separate the priest from the presence of God. And then it brings us to our passage today. Read this with me, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. He says, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, he has inaugurated for us a new and living way through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. Because of Jesus' work that he went ahead of us to do, the curtain that separated us from God has been torn, and we're now able to enter the Holy of Holies. If I was going to kind of mark out that, that progression that the author is talking about through these three verses, he's saying that Jesus passed through the heavens to prepare the way for us. 
And then he went on our behalf through the curtain into the presence of God. And now Jesus has opened that curtain so that we can enter into God's presence. It's like he just opened the door and said, come on in, y'all. Right? Jesus has done all of that for us. And since we're no longer separated from God by our sin, there's this massive change in our lives and the lives of the people around us because now we get to be in the presence of God. The point of this passage is to help us understand how big a deal it is that Jesus has done this and what that's going to mean for us in our day-to-day lives. I told you last week we're going to look at some of the benefits that come from being in a relationship with God, and that's what we're about to do. But the first point I want to make today in helping us understand that is that we get to draw near to God with boldness. Now, I don't know if you think about being bold often in your life. If that's, that's not a word that I use. Man, I was really bold today when I do. That's just not a word that I use a lot. But I was thinking about what this might look like for you and I in our daily lives. And I thought about um, someone that I used to work for. He's a great guy, um, ran a business, and was very intentional about how he spent his time. Um, and it was necessary for us often to meet to talk about day-to-day operations and how we were going to do the things that I was in charge of managing. And if I needed to meet with him, I had to schedule that. Right? He had a secretary, so I either had to go through her or I had to send him an email, and he would schedule a meeting, and then I would go to his office at the appointed time, and we would have a certain amount of time that we would discuss the thing, and then I would go on about my business. And that's for good reason, right? But then now I work for a different kind of guy whose door is always open. Matter of fact, if he's even on the phone, you can just come in and sit down. That's the expectation. You can just go in his office whenever. And, and often you may go in his office and there are literally four or five people standing there waiting to have a moment to discuss it with him, listening to what everybody else is talking about. Now, I don't know about you, but in the rest of my professional life, that would have been very weird to just go into the boss's office and listen to his conversation while he's on the phone. But that's just how he works. He's very open that way. And as I was thinking about the difference between those two guys, it made me realize what this passage is talking about. That we don't have to schedule a time with God. We don't have to schedule that through with his secretary or send an email or a text to say, hey, can I carve out a few minutes of your time next week to talk about this thing that's really important right now? We have the ability to just go right into his office and sit down and say, hey, look, I know you got a lot of things going on, but I need to talk to you about this thing right here real quick. That's what he's talking about when he says we have the opportunity. And and I don't know if you saw it in the progression, but in the first one, he's saying we should be bold. And at the end, he's saying we have the boldness now, not because we have done anything, but because Jesus has done it for us. Jesus has done this and it changes the way we are able to approach God. Remember before one man once a year had to go through all the rituals in order to be in the presence of God, and now the door is wide open and we can walk in at any moment. In fact, now the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. Talk about approachable, right? That's a change of scenery. As we've discussed throughout this book, approaching God has not always been easy. There was much that had to be done to prepare people to be near God. But now we can walk right in, and our confidence is not in ourselves but in the work that Jesus has done on our behalf. And we can enter boldly because Jesus has opened the door. He's let us in. He's invited us in. God made himself fully available to us. But how we approach God is still important, right? 
in our scripture today, he says that we should approach God with a sincere heart. And throughout scripture, we see the heart describing or representing a person's inner life, our thoughts, our character, our will, um, all of those are a part of our quote-unquote heart. Our emotions are a part of that as well. This is why it's so significant that God says in Scripture that He's going to write His law where? On our hearts. He's changing who we are. Rather than an external set of rules that we call the law that are acting upon us, there's this internal change happening as we grow in our relationship with God. That's what happened with those students just over the course of a weekend. They went from, man, God's speaking to me, to worshiping Him. A progression that happened in like a day and a half. And that's not normal, right? Think about how quickly relationships typically progress. It goes a long time from the introduction, or we might be in a relationship to worship, right? Right? Okay, this happened really quickly. That's why in Proverbs, the, the author reminds us of our hearts. He says, above all else, is Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. What's in our heart is what determines our behaviors. And so when God is saying to us, through the law, you're not good enough, what he's also saying to us is that because I live in you, because I'm working in you, I am writing my laws on your heart, I am changing who you are, and your behavior becomes different. Not because we tried real hard, but because Jesus is changing who we are on the inside, because he's writing that law on our hearts. And now that we have the Holy Spirit inside of us and God's laws being written on our hearts, what flows from us now is of God and not just of ourselves. That is, if we are allowing God to work in us, if we're listening to the things that he's telling us to do. Our heart is true when we are allowing God to speak into our lives and we're obeying what he tells us to do. I appreciate your testimony this morning, Wes, that you're struggling with this and saying, God, what do I do? And God was faithful to speak. And I loved at the end of that, you said, whether I'm a great success or I'm not, God is with me in that, and he is. In addition to drawing near to God with a true heart, we're also to go to him with full assurance. And that's what Wes was talking about today, that he has been assured. In chapter 11, we're going to look at the faith of all the patriarchs. That's Hebrews chapter 11 is one that we all remember, you know, by faith, and then a story about a patriarch from Scripture. We're going to hear and see the author talking about is not a blind leap of faith. It's not that those patriarchs said, well, I'll roll the dice and see what happens with this God guy. It's that over time, God starts with the little and they trust him in that. And then bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And before long, you're leading Egypt into the promised land, right? That's what God has for all of us. That's the way he works in our lives. And that assurance comes through us hearing his voice, and then doing what he says to do and experiencing his work in our life. The completeness of his work in our lives and in the lives of others build a firm foundation for us to approach God. We can approach him with confidence and with boldness because we know that he's capable of handing all the things in our lives and all the things of the, in the people around us' lives. We know that not because we're blindly trusting but because he started with the small and he's worked us up to the big so that we know that we can trust him. It's no longer necessary to hope that God is pleased. We can know that he is because of what Jesus has done. And we can know it because we know that we're obeying what he's called us to do. 
This is what the author is talking about in Hebrews chapter 22, chapter 10, verse 22. He says, let us draw near with a true heart full of assurance of faith, with our spirits sprinkled clean uh, from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. This confidence because of what Jesus has done is the very thing that enables a person like a Sharia to say, tonight I felt like God spoke directly to me. It's because you, this church, has loved her well. I don't know Ashira very well. I don't get to take any credit for what God did in her life. I know her name, and I know when I see her, that's Ashira, but that's the extent of it. But people from this body have invested in her to the degree that she understands that God loves her exactly how she is, and it's only because of that that instead of feeling guilt and shame when God began to work in her life, that she felt love and comfort and an invitation. She knows by experience that God's people love her, and she's able to feel God's love directly from him because you guys were the precursor to that. She got to experience a little bit of his love, and then we, when, when he said, hey, I'm calling you right now, she was able to receive that. Because of the firm foundation that was built through a relationship that we have with God and with her, we're able to hold fast Right? Listen to this. That firm foundation, those stones that are being laid in the roadway, build a firm foundation. And because of that, because of that foundation, we're able to hold fast, which is point number two. Stay the course, for God is unchanging. Verse 23, Hebrews chapter 10, it says, Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who promised is faithful. Remember, the, the churches that this was being written to were being persecuted right? They were being told this Jesus guy was not real. He wasn't really the son of God. This letter was sent to inform, to remind, to encourage the church of God's work of all that he had done. And even when life circumstances try to convince them, try to convince us otherwise, we can hold fast to our faith in God because he does not change. Our experiences with God prove that he is still speaking and working in people's lives. That's what this testimony time is about every week. It's about us sharing what God's doing in our lives. And though much time has passed, God is the same today as he was when this letter was written to the churches, right? Nothing about him is different. As we've studied this book, we've seen the ways that God has been preparing his people for their restoration. That's what the book of Hebrews is about. It's about helping people to understand that this is their story. And regardless of how people responded over the generations, God has not wavered in his resolve to restore his people. He continues that work. And the knowledge that he never gives up on us and never stops in his pursuit of us gives us hope when life gets hard. When it seems like the devil's throwing everything he can at you, just like this weekend, trying to mess up what Jesus is doing with just some prayers. God said, nope, you're done, get out of here. And it was over. When the author speaks of holding on to the confession, don't picture, because this is what I picture, when somebody says, hold on, I'm thinking of a cowboy trying to stay on a bull's back. That's just me. I don't know what you picture when, when you say, hold on. But have y'all seen that before? It looks like they're flailing around back there. That's not what he's talking about when he says, hold on. When he says, hold on, 
it's more like a lifelong friend that we can count on to always be there. I was thinking about this this weekend. I went recently and visited with my friend Scott. We got to have lunch together a couple of years ago. Um, been more than that now. It's been a long time. He moved back to East Texas with his family. And even though we don't talk on a real regular basis, he's one of those friends that if I am ever in need, I can call him and he'll drop everything to help me. And the reverse is true as well. Or when we get together, it's like no time has passed. We pick right up where we left off and we're able to hang out for an hour and a half and the conversation never lulls. There's never that awkward moment where you're going, crap, what do I talk about next, right? When Jesus, when an author of Hebrews is telling us to hold on to our faith, this is what he's talking about. It's a reminder that because God never changes, we can always count on him to be there for us. The world, the, this word is an, an encouragement to remind the church of the stability of the nature of Christ. That he's not going to change. And even though our lives may change, our lives become more difficult, we can hold fast to the knowledge that Jesus does not. That his love is constant. And that even if we're a failure, he's still there with us. This is not about working hard to keep from losing our faith. Our experiences with our people, um, often with the people in our lives, can be fickle or they can uh, vacillate constantly. Have y'all had friends like that before that the drop of a hat, they can get mad about something and you spend the rest of your day trying to undo whatever it was that you did that you didn't know you did, right? Or the, the people who you will say, hey, can you help me do this thing? And you know that when they say yes, what they really mean is, I will if something better doesn't come up, Right? That's not God. That's not how he works, right? When we place our trust in him, we can believe and count on him to be unchanging because he is steady and constant and reliable. And so when the author encourages us to hold fast, he's asking us to hold on to something that will not move, that's not going to vacillate. It's not fickle. God is not like the world that we live in. And he's not going to let us down or go back on his word. And we can trust that God will always do what he says. But unfortunately, when life gets hard, often we forget that. We say things like, God, why me? Or God, why right now? Right? I, I'm saying that from my perspective. I'm sure that yours is similar. But the third thing that the author encourages the church to do is to encourage one another by living in community. Look at verses 24 and 25. He said, and let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. One of the greatest things I discovered when we started the first TGP church was our life groups. I had been in Sunday school classes. I'd been in young adult groups. I had led youth groups and none of them, <coughs> excuse me, none of them compared to what I experienced. When I got connected with a group of people who really were interested in getting to know me as a person and I was able to reciprocate that. It wasn't until I discovered what it meant to not just meet with people but to really invest in them and do life with them that I understood how important that was. Listen, life's hard and when things are going pretty well or when they're not, we all have this innate desire in us to be known, to feel like someone knows us. I can say without a doubt, without my life group over the last 10 years of my life, I would not be standing here in front of you today because life has been hard. 
And it's because of the people that God put in my life who knew me, who knew that when I was saying I didn't need help, that I really did and came to help anyway. It's because of things like that that I'm able to stand before you because people invested in me and knew me. That's what all of us have experienced in our groups. I know I'm not the only one that's had that kind of experience. But God created us to live in community with one another. And, and in this letter, this is a pivotal point. The author is reminding the church of how important it is that they meet together. Because they're being persecuted, their tendency was to not gather. Because that just heaped on more attention than the fact that they were not like everybody else. Because instead of going to the temple or the synagogue, they were going into homes. When a person is struggling, having people that can suffer or celebrate with them makes all the difference in the world. Have you ever noticed if you have to go on a trip by yourself, it's not nearly as much fun as if you brought somebody who's meaningful to you with you? Or maybe you, you go to work all day and you get home and you and your spouse or your, your significant other are sharing about your day and you think, man, I wish you'd have just been there to experience this, Right? The reason that we have those feelings is because God created us to live in community, to not be on our, out on our own. Having another person in our life elevates our life to a new level. I went on a trip recently, and I can't even remember where I went, but I remember thinking the whole time that I was gone that this would be so much better if Bethany was there. Because I love her. She's my best friend. And things just aren't the same when she's not around. Having her in my life elevates everything else around me. And when it comes to our faith communities, those shared experiences that we have with one another elevate our understanding of God and how much he loves us. It's no mistake that for many of us, the testimony time in our service is our favorite because we love getting to hear about what God is doing in other people's lives because it encourages us. It's not that the worship or the messages aren't good. It's the emotion and the connection that comes through hearing about what God is doing in someone else's life because often those become connection points of, man, I needed to hear that today because I've been struggling with the same thing. Or, man, I needed to share this with people because I have to get it off my chest because people got to know about what's going on. Perhaps you were praying about something and God spoke through the testimony. I know that's happened for me several times. Or maybe just sharing a joy that someone else has experienced fires you up. It ignites you on the inside and says, man, I got to push forward for this. I'll tell you, for me with YC this weekend, I was talking to Debbie, I don't remember, Tuesday or Wednesday, and I was like, ah, I want to tell you all the things, but I'm going to wait until Sunday when we tell everybody. But I just was fired up because of what God was doing in the lives of the people around me. And I got to be a part of that experience. I got to be in there in that moment with them. Listen, the author's not making the case, because I've seen people twist this before uh, and say that you need to be involved in every little activity in the church. Our church is pretty good about not having, you know, just a bunch of random stuff that you're supposed to be going and doing, right? We've kind of dealt with that. But that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is that every person should be meaningfully involved in the life of the church. And that's going to look different for each of us because our roles in the body are different. And we shouldn't be comparing ourselves to what other people are doing, but asking God, how are you wanting me to meaningfully invest in the life of this church? And then do what he says. In Galatians 5, 13, it says, for you were called to be free, brothers and sisters, only don't use this freedom for as an opportunity for the flesh, 
but to serve one another through love. Or 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3. As we pray to God and the Father about you, we think of your faithful work, your loving deeds, and the enduring hope you have because of our Lord Jesus Christ. Or Revelations 2.19. I know your works, your love, faithfulness, service, and endurance. I know that your last works are greater than the first. The scripture is full of this, and we've experienced the same thing. That living out our faith in front of others is significant for both us and for them. The authors of these letters are saying to the churches, thank you for enduring with one another, for loving each other well, because even though you're over there, it's blessing me right here. And that's the experiences that God wants us to have, is to do life together in a way that when one is struggling, the others are there and say, look, if you've got to suffer, we're going to suffer with you. Or if you're going to celebrate this moment, we're going to celebrate with you. We're going to join in that. We're going to elevate it. Uh, the commentary that I was reading this week said it, this about um, the verses 24 and 25 in Hebrews chapter 10. For whatever the reason, the author sees their discontinu- discontinuance of common fellowship and worship as fatal for perseverance in the faith. Encouragement cannot take place in isolation. Thus, they must, what they must do is greater for the mutual encouragement. Christians are to display a deep care and concern for one another, expressed not only through positive support and reassurance, but also through reproof and warning. Both consolation and encouragement to spiritual alertness are to be given in light of the great day of Christ's coming. Our relationships with one another are how the world learns about who God is. Like I said a while ago, Asharia was able to have the experience she had because this church had been loving her and her family well. She got a taste of God's goodness through this body. And that prepared her heart and her spirit for God to be able to work in the way that he wanted to work. I think that part of the reason that churches have had such a huge exodus over the last couple of decades is because of this right here. Because we as people are real good about thinking about ourselves, but it's hard to think about others. But if Christ is in us, writing his laws on our hearts, and we're obeying the things that he's called us to do, then that's what's going to happen. We're going to be more concerned. We're going to care deeply for one another. This all boils down to where do we place our faith? Are we placing it in ourselves, and our own abilities? Are we placing it in Christ? I can tell you without a doubt that these six students that gave their life to Christ this weekend were introduced to the goodness of God and the love by this body. And I want to say thank you for that. I want to say thank you for working together, not with me, because I'm on the team too. I want to thank you for working with God and with one another to, to help this community to see that God loves them no matter what. That is significant. I, I really appreciated David's testimony a couple of weeks ago during Pastor Appreciation. We talked about a seminary professor. He has said, the mark of whether or not your church is doing well is will it be missed when the community is gone? And he said, I can say with confidence that this community would miss this body if we were gone. And that wasn't just an encouragement for me, but for all of us. We see God working in the lives of the kids in this community. And our prayer is that that's going to move into the adults as well. So as we're talking about this Christmas party and getting things lined up for it, I want you to understand this is not us wanting to put on a program. This is about us getting to live in community with the people that God has placed around us and getting to love them well and invite them in to be a part of what God is doing, to not just stand on the outside, 
but to feel like this is their party too. So I got more I want to say, but we're running out of town. But I want to end with this, okay? God has given all of us a call to share our own stories. And your story, no matter where it started or where it's at currently, number one, it's not done. And number two, it's worth sharing. What God has done in your life is significant for you, and it's significant for the people around you. So ask God this week, who is it in my life that needs to hear maybe just a portion of my story or the whole thing? As you're praying for the people that you work with, the people that God's placed on your heart, ask God for opportunities to share your restoration story, to talk about the things that God's done in your life, and ask God to show you opportunities to love the people around you deeply, to make your focus not on yourself, but on who God has called you to be in the community of believers. God's given us opportunity to enter boldly, right? He's asked us to to move forward with full assurance, with true hearts. And he's given us an opportunity to share that with other people by living in community and loving one another well. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you so much for what you've done this last week. God, I ask that as, as we make preparations for the, for the Christmas party, as we're making preparations for next week, for our own personal lives, Father, that you would continue to speak and guide and direct us in the, in the ways that you want us to go. Father, help us to, to love people the way you love us. Jesus, again, we thank you. Amen.